In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. This week's guest is Ryan Clark, who covers the Colorado Avalanche for us at The Athletic. And in light of all of the protests sweeping the country right now at the world following George Floyd's death at the hands of a police officer. Uh, I wanted to have Ryan on here, and him and I talked at length um, a few days before this, just about the kinds of conversations that needed to be happening right now in the world of hockey, in our country, um, within our company, and I you know, in talking to Ryan, it, it was it was clear pretty quickly that like this wasn't a conversation that we should just be having one on one without anybody else involved. I want you know we we wanted to be public, we wanted to be transparent with it, and listen to Ryan. And I wanted to ask a few questions, but mostly give him the opportunity because he wanted to do it and was willing to do it to have this conversation. So. Uh, and I'm so glad he did, and I'm thankful for Ryan for that, for for all, you know everything he's been doing. He has been prolific during this time in writing and behind the scenes, in in having countless conversations with people. Uh, he's it's been pretty amazing, and so so here it is, the full sixty with the Athletics Ryan Clark. All right, well, Ryan, first of all, um, thank you for doing this, and um, I, let me just start. You know, how how are you doing? It's kind of like what you and I talked about Friday. It's yeah. a mixed feeling because you're angry with what's going on in the sense of you want to see progress. You want to feel like maybe this could be a turning point. But then you realize, well, wasn't King and Malcolm X and Medgar Evers dying a turning point for little girls mm-hmm. getting killed in a church bombing a turning point? people being sprayed with water hoses, attacked by dogs and denied lunch counter entry, a turning point, Rodney King in the LA riots, a turning point. Uh, let's see, OJ, a turning point, Obama being elected, a turning point. You see the theme I'm going with here, Mike Brown, Tamir Rice, Sandra Bland, Trayvon Martin. I mean, that's just it. It's You want to remain optimistic, but at the same time, there have been other moments where this could have happened. And maybe what's different is you see protesting in metropolitan areas, but then you see it in places like Bangor, Maine, Fargo, North Dakota, and Des Moines, mm-hmm. Iowa, places that people just have never would never think what's, what would happen there. And that's what makes you go, okay. But then you're numb to it because you go, well, who's to say this doesn't happen again in four weeks? Right. So I would I would say probably that. I guess what I'm curious about is how are you feeling with all of this and what you've seen, especially someone who is a parent? And I imagine from that perspective, that's probably been difficult to sit there and explain to your kids, this is the world we live in right now. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, I think the biggest thing as a parent that I've been doing is I, I, I feel like you just have to expose them to it right and and on, on top of it all we have this pandemic you know so then it's like okay right away it's like hey i, I want to take my kids down to detroit and let's get them in a protest and let them you know then you're like okay we, we haven't left the house in three months so 
you know, there's, you, you, you're sitting there and trying to balance everything. And so it's, it's, you know, like we did last night, it's sitting in front of the television. We were watching the news. You've got the kids next to you and you're, and they're asking questions and why is this happening? And why are they using tear gas on these crowds? And, you know, you know, what, what can we do? And, and, you know, these, I think that like right now, that's where we're at as parents. It's, it's, let's expose it, expose mm-hmm. them, let, let, let them see what's happening. Um, let's not try to shelter them from it. Right. And I don't know, like I, you know, it was talking to somebody else, like not, it, it's, it, you know, from, I haven't been through anything. I mean, like this, right. With, with everything happening at once. And, and, um, so it's, it's, you know, trying to figure out the best path forward. And that's why it's a lot of conversations like the ones that we've had the last few days, like you and I've had and are having now. Um, How have you, you know, how have you found in navigating those conversations? Because especially in, in, and I'm going to try to keep this somewhat hockey centric because that's what we do, you and I, um, in, in kind of the world that we're navigating in the, in the, you know, very white world of hockey. How I'm sure you've had a lot of people reaching out to you. How has that experience been in that world? Talking about it is easy. Mm-hmm. It's making sure that for the people you've had reaching out, that you're trying to give them the time that they need to where you feel like you're honestly and fulfilling and answering those questions just because for me, talking about race really isn't difficult because it's something I talk about with a lot of my friends something I think about a lot. And so that part is not difficult. What's what's challenging is making sure that when people are coming to you with questions and they're taking the time that you make the effort to talk to them, but just like take yesterday alone. At one point I was involved in 10 different Slack uh, conversations, four text message conversations, phone calls, emails, and you're grateful that people feel the need to talk to you about these things. But at the same time, you kind of just want to tell people like, I will get to you, but I need to get to someone else first. And I think that for me has probably been the difficult part, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. It could, because I, I think that's the challenge. It's like you don't want to – I'm sure people are like, you know, reaching out with the best of intentions. But at the same time, from your perspective, I can see where it would be overwhelming, right? Like – but it, yeah. it's only been overwhelming in numbers. The, the mm-hmm. conversations have been fine. Like yeah. the conversations I don't mind having. If anything, I enjoy having because it says people are interested. They want to know. They want to open themselves and be vulnerable and share and understand they don't have the answers. And how rare does that happen where we as humans who love to think that we understand control in reality we've never had control it's an illusion that we think exists you don't control anything but you want to be mindful of that it's just that sometimes when you have five or ten people wanting to have that conversation at once you want to make it to where everybody's experience is different and individual but sometimes you're like would this be better in a zoom call but then it's like no that's not fair because how everybody views this is different everybody might say I want to learn more and I want to know more, but their questions might be different. And I think this is something that's hit people so personally that you have to approach it as such and talking about it in a personal manner, except for in this case where it's on a podcast for the whole free world to hear. So thanks, Craig. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we already had our personal conversation. No, that's true. Uh, hopefully this is the same. I hope it's, you know what I mean? I I, I don't know. Um, but what... What what I would be curious because I I agree with your perspective. Like, is this a turning point? Well, we've had all these instances, but if we just go into the into the now, and and I want to talk about two pieces specifically that actually three pieces that you've done this week. Um, but one what what feels different to me, and it may just be naive or whatever, but I've I, I've never seen um, the hockey community as a whole. Uh, especially the white players come out in as many numbers as they have been in support, right? Like, I mean, there, there's been a million, you know, there's been all these different issues when it, when it comes to race and hockey, ugly issues. Um, and it, and it tends to be the, the silence tends to be deafening at times. Um, what have you thought 
what, from your perspective, what, what do you have you thought of hockey's response so far? It's been interesting to see because you're seeing teams respond. And what's interesting is seeing how fans have responded to those teams. There have been some fans who you look at their response to their team and some of it is what you'd expect of, I either really support this or why are you weighing in on this issue? Mm -hmm. But when it comes to just the overall critical nature of it, there have been some teams that when you look at their Twitter accounts to how fans have responded, fans have just said, well, then explain this where you had Mm -hmm. the opportunity to be better and you weren't. And that is really telling about how this is really sort of been handled because the thing that's fascinating about the NHL right now is it's a league that while it has had social conversations, it's never really had one about race. So when you compare it to other leagues, Major League Baseball's had Jackie Robinson, it's had Kurt Flood, it's had this conversation about Hispanic ball players and the need to make sure that those players are visible. Because when you look at, let's say, the NL East right now, Arguably, the two biggest stars in the NL East are Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna. And it's important that players like that are going to be showcased and put on a platform. They're two of Major League Baseball's rising stars. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's a league that has dealt with the issue of why weren't translators in clubhouses a lot earlier? What more is being done to make sure that those players are being promoted? It's led to conversations and newsrooms about is it wise to try to go out and find Spanish-speaking reporters who can connect with these players on a level that a lot of markets just simply haven't seen until a player does learn English and feels comfortable learning English. Whereas if you look at the NFL, I mean, every six months, it seems there's some sort of conversation, whether it's about uh, race, whether it's about gender, domestic abuse, it's being had. The NBA is a league where It's always had these conversations. In a lot of ways, it's led the league, well, really led sports, excuse me, in the sense of how these conversations are had, how there are players who talk about this, coaches who talk about this, general managers, owners who wade into these discussions and are not afraid to give an opinion. Whereas if you look at hockey, and hockey is a sport that when it comes to race has never really had that. It's typically been black players who've said these things while everyone else remains silent. And it comes with the juxtaposition of it's a league that has talked about mental health with Bell's Let's Play. It's a league Mm -hmm. that has talked about LGBTQ with Hockey is for Everyone and Pride Night. It's a league that has talked about gender in the sense of how do you promote more of the women's game, but how do you promote more women, whether that's what we've seen at the All-Star Game the last two years. The, The rise of the fact that we're seeing more women and broadcast positions like A.J. Malesko with the idea that fans say it's still not enough. There still needs to be more. And the right. same thing goes for more women who cover this sport as writers, let alone broadcasters. And then there's also been the, the point that's been raised with the women's game of two of talking about the women's national team and making sure they're included. While when you look at front office roles in the sense of it's seeing more women lead public relations departments, but it's also seeing more women like Cami Granado and Alexandra Mandricki in NHL Seattle play such really critical roles in that club's foundation. And while LGBTQ and gender have been discussions that have been held, there has been pushback, but there's still the conversation. Whereas if with race, until really this past weekend, there hadn't ever been that wide-scale public acknowledgement of race. And now people are looking at the NHL, like what are they going to do next? And the last thing I'll say is, The example I've I've used on whether it be radio or personal conversations, and I even used this with you when we talked Mm -hmm. Friday, is it's like math, where for the people who've had this conversation for years now, it's one plus one is two. It's very straightforward. It's simple. But for those who are just now having this conversation and are just understanding this and this overload, it's like advanced trigonometry in the sense that you're aware of numbers and variables and quotients. And you might see something that looks like a plus or a minus sign, but in reality is you're still trying to figure it out and you have, in some cases, no idea what you're doing. And that's the reality of this situation. Right. Right. And, and then, you know, what ends up happening is, you know, you'll, you'll see, 
like I, you know, you'll see something that was intended as support or whatever, and then even that can come off as I think it was Jeremy Ronick who came out with comments early that it was like, okay, you're like you feel like his heart was in the right place, but maybe you know wasn't the wasn't the best way to handle it. And and I mean, I, I imagine when you say it's like trigonometry, that's what it is what you're talking about. Well, it is because it's the idea that people are trying to say and do the right thing, but it's all about the perception of if you've never done this before, why are you doing it now? And is it because Mm -hmm. it's truly something you want to do? Is it because it's the right thing to say or do? And is there maybe this need for you to show that you're more open and vulnerable to the fact that you may not know what's going on? But then the hard part in that is you might have people who they've had these discussions amongst friends internally but felt like before they really couldn't speak their mind and now that they are they have to be more conscious of even though those who know me know where i stand how the rest of the world sees me and perceives me is a little bit of a different case and then it you run the risk of is this virtue signaling is this being performative Mm -hmm. and that's such a challenge that people are sort of navigating right now at the moment on top of like, let's just look at, you know, today with with the blackout. I mean, there are people who they say, okay, I want to do this, but am I taking away someone's moment? Am I becoming someone who, well, I want to do the right thing. Do I realize it's not about me? So what's the best way to show support while realizing it's not about me? And that's just it. It's like people have said, well, this is complex. And it's like, it's supposed to be. If it was, we we would have had this conversation eons ago and moved on to something else. Mm-hmm. And that's where that's where it gets interesting is, no pun intended, we talk about this being a black or white issue in a lot of ways it is. In terms of how to handle it, there is a lot of gray area because you're trying to find something that sets the right tone, hits the right marks, and that's understood that you hope doesn't polarize people, but in reality, it will polarize people. Right. Um, I thought there was a really good conversation because part of this is you're talking about people want to be allies, right? And teammates want to be allies. And um, I don't know if you listened to it, but JT Brown was on Akil Thomas's Soul on Ice podcast. Wouldn't and if you're listening to this, you listen to podcasts. I would, I would definitely um, recommend listening to it. It's 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 great. And in JT Brown, you know, he was asked about allies in you know in especially you know during the anthem and, and he, when he held his fist up and you know why he was talking about you know teammates that came out publicly and supported it and maybe some people didn't. And he's like, I, I don't want people to do it because they're pressured into doing, you know what I mean? He's like, you can tell right. who is doing it without the conviction, I guess. And I, like, that's, I mean, I don't know how you, like, it's it's a tough thing to navigate, I guess, right? It is, but it isn't in the sense mm. of, you can kind of tell when someone wants to do the right thing, but they're grasping with how do you go about doing it versus someone who, might feel compelled into doing the right thing that, you know, they're doing it for appearances sake, but you're left wondering, are you really, are you really committed to the heart of why this is an issue? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of been something that for a story that we've got coming up, talking to players about this, Tyler Sagan made a really interesting point about how with hockey culture, it's just the idea that everybody's rank and file. You kind of do what's said. You don't really want to step out of line. And he even admitted there are times when I speak with the media, I'm a robot where it's like, yes, get pucks in deep and do X, Y, and Z. (laughs) This is Dallas Stars hockey. When for this particular issue, you're asking people to step outside of a comfort zone to speak in ways beyond jargon. And not only that, but it presents two constructs that also need to be brought up in this. The first is people have said the NHL compared to other leagues, players don't show personality. And now that they are, some people like it, some people don't. And so it's like, how does the league handle that moving forward? But then the second thing is, is the league really ready to take on something this dark, this serious, this deep? Because when you look at the NHL, Let's use NHL Network with its programming. 
it's fast paced, it's fun, it's vibrant colors, it's family friendly, it's something that's enjoyable for everyone who's a hockey fan. Talking about racism is not enjoyable for a lot of people. It is difficult, it is hard, it is scarring, it is traumatic. It opens you up to things that in some ways you wish you had learned earlier and in other ways, things that you wish you had never known. Mm. And so how does a league that's been so key on everybody having fun and hockey is for everyone and all these other examples, how do they really go about discussing this? And how do they go about handling knowing that they have to play catch up, not only just compared to other leagues, but they have to play catch up to what some people might argue is the rest of society because they've stayed dormant on these issues for so mm-hmm. long. Mm. Um, why do you think you said hockey hasn't had its moment and until now? Why do you think the Akeem Alou incident and like Akeem has been very vocal? Why do you think that wasn't it? it? You know what I mean? Because I think in some ways, and that's a really, how do I put this? Like that's a that's a question that's going to take a lot of tentacles to answer. So let's okay. try to handle it the best they can. Part of it, again, could go back to the time between the incident and between when he talked about it. But also, it's the entry point, which the entry point in this was what happened with Mitch Marner and Mike Babcock. And it led to a discussion about coaches and going too far. And then this mm-hmm. is when Akeem Alou came forward and said what he needed to. And that's when people were just like, wait, did this really happen? And then you heard Mikel Jordan from the Carolina Hurricanes say like, yeah, some things happened with me and him as well. And... It could just be like, wow, okay, this is happening. But then there are other things that you've heard and seen people too say about Akeem Alou. Like, well, you know, when he played here, he wasn't X, he wasn't Y, he wasn't Z. Almost as if to kind of construe or suggest that like, okay, while he might have had these problems with Bill Peters, was he always the best player who was the most engaged and so on and so forth? And that might have been some of it, but also... The other difference, and this might have been the most simple thing to say at the beginning, it's timing. When Mm -hmm. Akeem Alou spoke, he spoke at a point in the season, late November and into December, when people are learning, is your team and its roster ready to be a playoff team? Or do you need to realize you're about to go through a rebuild? Whereas if now, everybody is more or less in a similar situation, Craig, in that You're watching TV. You're seeing what's on social. People are remaining indoors and they're looking Mm -hmm. for things that are around them. So, for example, and I said this on the Blue Shirts Breakaway podcast, and not that these two things are comparable, but for example, when we first went into quarantine, the thing everybody talked about was Tiger King because it was on, it was word of mouth, it was easily accessible, and people wouldn't stop talking about it to the point where People were even asking about Tiger King in press conferences. Whereas if you look at now, this is something that you cannot avoid. And if this was, let's say, during a regular season where this had happened, we'd be talking about finishing the playoffs, getting ready Mm -hmm. for the draft. Guys might have been able to get away from technology or the news and not even think about it. Whereas if now... It's more at the forefront than ever before. And because of that, it's allowing conversations to happen. It's allowing people who may have been able to look away in the past because there are other outlets to the fact that they can't look away. And once they've seen it, it leads to these thought processes and conversations about, okay, wow, how long has this been going on? How long have I been, I guess, unattentive to all this? And it leads to another series of questions. So it's possible that could be the reason. Hmm. Yeah. It, it especially you know in our industry, it's easily it's pretty easy to get distracted, right? Like if there was if we were dealing with this, and all of a sudden there was game seven of the, whatever, you know what I mean, or whatever we'd be on right now. You know that's that's. I mean, I, I think that's a really valid point. Um, well, well, if I can yeah. add one more thing real quick, yeah, I mean, of course. let's say if this was let's say the NBA. 
it's a conversation in the NBA because the NBA is a league, like, like we've said, it's talked about social causes, but it's also been a league that has not only addressed race and racism, but when you look at the makeup of the league, like this is an issue that presumably is going to impact every, but let's just say to be conservative, a good majority of the players in the league, whether they are black or white, because that's a league where they have made it clear this is a priority to know and understand these sorts of things. We think back to Trayvon Martin, what the Miami Heat did when there was LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh, and how they talked about this in the photos of each of them wearing hoodies. And, and it was talking about what it meant to be black men, black fathers, having to have these conversations about knowing what you can and can't wear Whereas with the NHL, it's not to say that there aren't conversations about fatherhood. There aren't conversations about children and the way we need to act as people in society. There are. But in the sense of this being, what does it mean to be a black father or a black parent or a black person or a minority in society? That is the big difference. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's interesting, like the NBA comparison, like I'll... I'll I'll see comments Greg Popovich makes and like, I'm like, I can't even like, it would be amazing to see an NHL coach say these things, but like, I can't even imagine it almost. You know what I mean? Cause again, I think it goes back to the fact it's, it's sort of different leagues and just right. different sports sure. and what Tyler Sagan said about just with hockey, it's this culture of, you know, this is how it is and this is how things are said. And just, this is kind of the parameters you operate within. But then it goes back to something else he said too, which is he's like, hockey is a sport that's all about accountability. Right. And looking at this makes me realize I need to be accountable. We all need to be accountable and not just saying we're going to do it, but then asking what's next. How do we go about fixing this or playing our part in trying to fix this as individuals, as teams, as a league, as a sport, as a game. And that's just one of those things where you don't know what that's going to look like. So maybe there is a coach later down the line who they speak their mind about it, but then maybe there isn't because there's so many variables. Like for example, while Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich might speak about these subjects on their own, they also know that they can be asked these different things. Who's to say what you can ask different coaches in the NHL, they may or may not talk about it. I mean, who knows? And then it goes back to another discussion about what are people's interests and the idea that no matter how well you might think you know someone, you never really truly know someone. Or maybe just the thought is, this is a league where you don't really discuss anything that would be deemed controversial. I mean, again, there's so many different reasons why it is the way it is. Right. And like hockey's culture, even the, you know, notion that we're even if we take it to the most basic thing where never say anything that's going to make you stand out you know what i mean that then immediately makes it really hard to have these conversations or have coaches or whatever if you're a coach and you're trying to further that culture of hey we're you know we're one team there's no individuals then you can't be the one saying you can't be greg popovich you know what i mean if, if, if that's the culture you're trying to right. implement on your team. Right. But I think this is where Popovich is such a fascinating case study because he's a man with a military background. And so mm -hmm. he definitely gets the idea of rank and file and order and structure and progress. But he also gets the idea of individuality, too, and why that's so important for people to be able to operate. And that's where it's maybe is that's the discussion people in the NHL begin to have or feel they should be having, or maybe they have already had it again. It's so hard to say because we don't sit in on every, well, I mean, you might have access to every meeting because you're you and people tell you things, but um, that was, a <laughs> thank you for laughing. That was my joke Thanks. of saying like, you're too well plugged in and I hate you for it. Um, so yeah, I'm going to get fired by my boss now. But anyways, to be serious, we don't know what's being said in these meetings. So we don't yeah. know what's going on, but Again, you look at someone like Popovich and he just proves that you can still have structure, but you can still have gravity for individuality because, mm. you know, people look at the Spurs and you think you had these profiles like Tim Duncan and David Robinson. And, you know, they were just kind of these down the road sort of like, you know, straight down the line sort of players. This was the franchise that has Steven Jackson, who's one of the most outspoken players right. the league has ever seen. 
Um, you had Tony Parker and the fact that like, while he fit into that, you know, realm, he was also a celebrity in the sense that he was married to Ava Longoria. And mm-hmm. like, he was one of the first athletes the Spurs had ever really had, who was also known for what his life was like beyond the basketball court. You saw what happened with Kawhi Leonard and his rise. You've seen what happened with Manu Ginobili and, and kind of the impact he was able to have. So again, those two things can exist. It's just a matter of how long does it take to get there? And that's just it is the NBA and its coaches and its players needed that time to get there. And who's to say the NHL may need the same amount of time. Mm. Um, all right. I want to let's let's talk about your Evander Kane piece that ran. And if you're listening, go to theathletic.com and, and you'll see it there or just search for Ryan Clark and Evander Kane. Maybe the easiest way because um, I don't know when you'll be listening to this. Um, again, a great, great piece, great perspective. What really struck me, and it's in line with what we're talking about, is you know he he gets at about three quarters of the way through the piece hockey culture and guys are guys really worry about what they say and how their reputation is perceived and then just a great line reputation for me is bullshit that's what Evander Kane says it's about someone's character um, can you take me through that conversation with Evander and what, what struck you about talking to him in this moment in time sure you know what it was was just simply it was having a conversation about. What's a subject that is near and dear to him, something that's serious, but also you're trying to convey it in a way that helps people understand the gravity of the moment. And this was something I said on radio in Vancouver yesterday, which was people might think, oh, it's a black reporter talking to a black hockey player. Like this should be easy. And it's like, there's, there's no guarantee of that because it was our first conversation. And how often do you meet someone for the first time and you break into that subject with no prior <laughs> warning of each other's knowledge or, or vernacular of, of what's being discussed? But furthermore, these were questions that really required a measured approach, which is exactly what he took. And so as we're going through the conversation, I mean, Craig, you know, there's just a certain cadence you have to follow with. Here's why we're talking, which is, What's it been like for you to see white players do this? And it's Mm -hmm. while you have questions in your head, you also want to listen and pay attention to what he's saying, because there could be something in there that he throws out where you're like, okay, that's a really valid point. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that got brought up was, so why is it we don't hear black players speak? Why is it you and kind of JT Brown? And he went into, because there is a worry for different reasons why, if you're a UFA, do you want this to be a thing that may stop you from getting signed or making as much as you could? If you're a fringe player, could this be something that's the difference between the NHL and the AHL? And if you're a young player, do you really want to carry this throughout certain sequences or if not your entire career? And it's something worth thinking about. Whereas if for him, he felt like, I'm not afraid to say this. I'm Mm -hmm. not afraid to speak my mind. And that is something that the further you get away from it, the more you realize, okay, what does it take for someone to reach that point? And in a sport where, as we've discussed, it is about a uniform approach. It is about always saying the right thing, having the right image. And here's a man who said for him, the right thing is, doing what he believes is best and not really being worried about what other people say. Whether you want to apply that to hockey or just life, I mean, that's an advantageous approach that some people just may never want to step on that ledge because they just feel like it's not for them. And so that's how it gets to that point in the conversation is listening to what he said, thinking about what you want to ask, but then looking at it and saying, okay, what makes this man so different? Mm -hmm. And and you're right to say that it does seem like Evander Kane is a guy that has been outspoken on this topic and, um, you know, JT Brown, obviously. And, and it's hard because I, you know, I've had this conversation with players and, and, you know, there'll be, let's say it's Colin Kaepernick or there's some sort of point where, okay, the media is now talking about race and, you know, you go to the, the, the player in the locker room and, you know, off the record, it's just like, they're like, boy, you know, I, I'm because I'm the one black player in this room. I'm the one that has to take on all these questions and 
on that on some level like that and i've had this talking and they're like that's unfair to me you know what i mean and yeah. I, I think that's it's he's like you know like ask some of my white teammates and and see what they think about it and it like i think it is you know that's what, what people like myself have to do a better job of i think well part of it i think goes back to just it's an awareness of things and you know look i think it's easy for me to sit here and say well, this is the process because it's what I've known my whole life. It's what I've dealt with. I've had plenty of experiences of having these conversations for on and off record purposes to know this is how things need to be approached and and handled. But when you just look at, I think, kind of the way we do things, and you and I have had this conversation before, it goes back to being able for media to learn this is how you handle those situations but also it goes back to the need of why diversity is important and recognizing right. and understanding like why you do need people who understand these issues in your newsrooms. And like, yes, it mm-hmm. goes back to the argument of, are you hiring someone just for diversity? Are they the right candidate? So on and so forth. And that's a discussion that we can either have now or for a different day or whenever. But when it comes back to it, it just goes to the whole idea of like, let's look at this game right now. This game is at a point where players, while they may not be as open as some would like for them to be, they're open. It's just it's a different level of open than when a lot of reporters were doing this. So, for example, if you're a mid-career reporter in this league or you're someone who's older and you go, well, these players, they don't really say much. They don't really do much. I don't feel like I can have conversations with them. Well, are you judging them on the standard of which, let's say you had these conversations with guys in the 90s or 2000s, or are you making the effort to maybe look at what matters to them and thinking less about yourself? And I'm sorry, but like back in the 90s and the two early 2000s, you did not have social media where you could get insight into what people are thinking, what matters to them. Now it has been easier than ever before to not only access people, but access what matters to them. And the thing is, it's not the hardest thing in the world to do. It's actually really simple just to sit there and say, oh, player X is into this. Maybe I should learn about this and ask some questions. And there you go. So let's use the team I cover, the Avalanche, for example. So I look at Nikita Zadorov. I know he probably has thoughts on Russia, but understand that not everyone is vocal about that. But the thing is this, and okay, maybe this is a really terrible example, but I speak Russian. I studied uh, political science as my minor in college with a concentration in Russia, former Soviet socialist republics in Eastern Europe. So granted, I have a natural interest, but it's learning more about him, getting to know him. And then when I do a Q&A, we talk and I'd ask him, hey, what is the fear about players speaking out about Russia? And at first he was like, you know, it's something maybe I'll talk about later. And then when mm-hmm. we circled back, I'm like, look, I don't want you to comment on it now, but I'm just curious, like, what makes you say something you'll talk about later in your career? And he's like, you know what? Let's talk. And he opened up about it. Mm-hmm. And he's a guy who's been sitting here in the NHL for years. And right. why, have, why have no English-speaking reporters asked him that? Because you look at him and think, oh, well, all there is to do is ask him about why he hits people, his defensive play, when it's good, when it's bad, when it's somewhere in the middle, and I just need a throwaway quote. And it's like, yeah, look, people are people, and they can tell who values them and who doesn't value them. And essentially, that's what it goes back to is, do you look at athletes like they're commodities, or do you look at them like they're human beings? It's really mm-hmm. not that hard. Yeah. Um. So, so I like that your follow up to the Evander Kane was to to find athletes like in the in the four in this case Brian Boyle, Connor Carrick, Tyler Sagan, and Morgan Riley, who have been vocal in in support. Um, and what what struck you in talking to them? You mentioned Tyler Sagan. I thought Tyler Sagan, in terms of statements, his was you know you could tell this like there was a, a raw honesty there. And it sounds like he he was pretty impactful in talking to him. Can you take me through those conversations? Sure. Let's start off with Tyler Sagan. You know, here, let me pull through my notes because it's just what he said was really fascinating. He was like, you know, I'll be honest. It took me a couple hours to write what I wrote. And it's something that's kind of hard to put in words. He's like, I'll start off by saying like, you know, look, I want to be honest and, and kind of following through it. But I'm thinking in my head, I'm white. 
I'm from Canada. I'm an NHL right. hockey player, and this really isn't my business. This is what was in my head. But then he said he started doing more research and started looking into this. And that's when he said it really sort of dawned on him. Like, not only is this an issue now, but it's been an issue for a long time. And he felt like, look, I have a platform. I need to say something. I want to say something. And he did. And since then, he's gone back and thought about where he grew up in the GTA and started talking about how he's like, look, I've had white friends, black friends, friends who are East Indian. And I just always looked at them as like they're friends of mine. I've never really thought about, do they have to go through struggles because of race? And he was like, you know, in the summer, I train out with, I train with the, and work out with the Stewart brothers, uh, Tavante Smith Pelly. And he's like, you know, the thing is, I look at them as just, they're all really good guys who are just great athletes. But now I sit here and go, what are the challenges they've had to face mm. being black players in this league? He's like, I'm friends with Evander Kane and never once have I thought like, what were the challenges he had to face just by simply being a different color than everyone else? And it was something Brian Boyle even talked about too. And Brian Boyle was really interesting because he talked about, you know, look, growing up, Irish Catholic, the fact that his dad works for the Diocese of Boston and how faith is something that's really big to him. And his whole thing was really being reflective and asking, how do I make myself a better person to be more aware of these issues? And for him, he did tie some of his faith into it in the sense of being sure he can make these conscious choices that are moral and just and that are right and that he can do what he can to help others who are in a different position. And he was like, you know, when I was at Boston College, one of my teammates was black and he was this great guy. We all loved him, but he was always really quiet. And now I'm left wondering, was he quiet? Because he felt like he really couldn't be who he was around us. And he's like, these are the things that I'm thinking about now. And these are the things that the players I got a chance to speak to, they all started admitting like, this has been my experience with diversity and this is what it's been. But now that I sit here and I think about it, I go, why didn't I know this, notice this earlier? Why wasn't I paying attention? And like you had a couple guys who said the phrase, I feel ashamed for not paying attention yeah. to this earlier. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, I mean, I think that's uh, people being really honest, right? And vulnerable. And it's an important emotion to have for them. It It is because... The argument is that's the way people are going to learn is by understanding and humanizing. And that was the other fascinating piece of this, Craig, was it was all these players saying, I empathize, but I and I'm trying to understand, but I know I will never, ever, ever, ever be able to sit there and say, I know what this is like. Right. And that was just such an interesting refrain so many of these players had was saying like, as a human, what is done to them is is horrible to see this, to watch footage of a man dying over the course of nine minutes. It's horrific. They're like, as a human, it draws to you and says, how do we be better? How do we treat people differently to where they don't have to experience this? But there's still this understanding that I will never know what that is like. And that's where it's just the whole, the idea of where guys saying, that's why I want to do more to educate myself and educate those around me. So we do know how to be more supportive. Do you think as a league moving forward, like this, this does seem like a moment and it does seem like hockey is engaged in this and there isn't, you know, there is opportunity in that there isn't the distraction of a game tomorrow night. What's, what do you see as the best path forward so that, you know, we're not, we're not looking back and saying, well, nothing happened, even though these were all some really important conversations that happened. That's a difficult question just because I don't know if there is just one answer. There's several. Yeah. I mean, one could be having an ad campaign similar to what the Premier League does. And that's something Tariq El-Bashir, who covers the Capitals for us and does an incredible job, he and I have talked about for over the last few weeks is just what is preventing the NHL from doing something similar like the Premier League has where it takes its biggest stars and they look into a camera and they speak about why racism needs to be eradicated, not just from their game, but from the planet as a whole. Maybe, mm. maybe that is a step. Maybe it's the idea of wanting to work with more community groups 
and not just saying we're doing it for PR purposes. So it's a cool photo, but making some sort of both moral and financial investment into saying we're involved in this, we're committed to this. We are going to make this a priority and do what we can to ensure that we're doing something within our own communities to not only say you did your part, but to say, look, we've done what we can as an organization to help grow this and make it better than how we found it and continue to make it better to the point where it's not a one or three or five year project. It's a lifelong association that they have as long as those franchises remain in those cities. Mm -hmm. But again, maybe this is all too Pollyanna. Maybe this is the worst ideas that could be thrown out there. Maybe there are better ideas that could be thrown out there. Or maybe there are no ideas that be thrown out there because that's the issue in admitting there's a problem is you can admit there's a problem, but you don't necessarily know what the solution is. But then it goes back to this thing that I'm going to leave in your head and it's going to mess with you and everybody who listens to this for the rest of the week. Some might say, is there a problem? And that's what you have to consider is there's going to be the crowd that goes, is this a problem? Why is this a problem? Who cares if it's a problem? And that's just it is addressing an issue means everybody understanding there is an issue. And when everybody understands there is an issue, then maybe you can move forward. Maybe not in a way that others would do it, but in a way that's unique and individual to you to fix it. But when everybody can't agree there's a problem or the extent that there even is an issue, then that's the problem you must solve first is how do you get everyone on the same page? How close do you think we are to that point? And it's a almost an impossible question to answer, I guess. But I, I'm not, and maybe I'm just not looking for it, or I've muted these people. I'm not. I'm not hearing a lot of like this isn't a problem. Stop bringing this up. This, you know what I mean? No, I know what you're saying. And as far as how long, I mean, no one knows. Yeah. No, I mean, no one knows because again, it's all about the perspective you take. Because you can make the argument that this is the landmark moment because we've never really seen this discussion in the league before. Some people might say it's not the landmark moment because this league should have been at this point years or maybe even decades ago, and they're actually playing catch up. But again, it's all about what are you comparing this league to? Leagues that have gone through these issues because they've approached diversity and other conversations at a much quicker rate Mm -hmm. or is it something else entirely different and again that's that's the hard part in trying to answer any question is we can sit here and throw out all these hypotheticals and solutions or like we just said a little bit ago people who don't think there needs to be a solution because they don't think there needs to be a problem you can do all these different things but no one is going to know how it works because Brian Boyle made this really interesting observation. And he was like, I grew up in a household of 12. We were all under the same roof and we all learned the same things. But there are things that politically and socially and other things that make us all different. And that's the reality. You can be in the same league, the same dressing room, play the same sport. And it doesn't necessarily mean we're all going to be on the same page. And it goes back to something I heard when I was in Richmond, Indiana, and I was covering like cops, courts, fire business there. And I got to know firefighters really well to the point where one of the firefighters who was black started sharing with me the racial discrepancies in this firehouse. Mm -hmm. And the quote he gave me, and again, this was just a conversation between him and I, the, con- the quote he gave me was, just because we wear the same uniform doesn't mean we're on the same team. Mm. Hmm. That, that leads to the question I've been wondering, and, you know, it's been great to see the Tyler Sagans and the Morgan Rileys and the Connor Carricks. And you want people to to speak from a place of authenticity and, and to mean it. What do you think of prominent players who aren't weighing in? And maybe not you personally, like what are we like, 
is it fair to sit here and go, boy, it's time for this person to say something? Or is it this person maybe doing handling it in a way as we don't understand? Let me start off by saying this. As someone who's covering that, mm-hmm. I don't think it's good for me to give an opinion because, I mean, it's just okay. – it would be – yeah, that's fair. I want to remain objective in all this because like that's the other side of this, which if we want to get into at some point, we can. But when you are writing these stories as one of the few black people covering this league, you have to be aware that every sentence, every word, everything you write, it has to be airtight. It has to be objective. It has to be presented in a way that it is neutral. So no one can look back and say, here is someone with an agenda and it's because they're the same race and it's because this person is a member of a group that currently feels a certain way about an issue. So I need to get that preamble out of the way. But I think when you talk about it from a hypothetical and a contextual standpoint, it goes back to what we were saying earlier, which is when you're in the NBA and you're LeBron James, you're Giannis Antetokounmpo, you are James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard, Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, you are going to get asked a series of questions and you know social issues are going to come up. So you have to be ready for that. Like if you are Stephen Curry, you know at some point when you're moving from Oracle to Chase, reporters are going to ask you, what's it like to know that you're leaving Oakland, a community that has loved you and supported you, and you're going to San Francisco? Couldn't you argue that's just a perfect example of how every thing works in the Bay Area where it's a sense of gentrification, where it's another thing about Oakland that's being completely ripped out for the masses somewhere else. I mean, you could easily make that argument. And I'm sure just even throwing that question out there is going to make people angry and upset. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is it's a league that's used to talking about it. Again, it's why Jordan faced criticism both then and now when the last dance came on about Harvey Gantt and the North Carolina Senate race. It's yeah. the same thing, but it's a league where that stuff is going to get talked about. In the NHL, it just simply doesn't. And so you're going to have one of two schools of thought. The first that says, if everybody else can talk, not only in the NHL, but if other athletes across the world can use their platform, and if even Taylor Swift can speak, what is stopping the game's biggest stars from doing the same thing? There is that school of thought. But then there's the other school of thought that says, why should they have to speak? Shouldn't it be enough that they're captains and they carry the weight of the league on their shoulders and that they shouldn't have to be bothered with these or any other issues that they don't want to address? That shouldn't they have the right to be a private citizen and not have to share their thoughts on every single subject that's going on in the world? And that's what leads to the complicated matter of this. Mm-hmm. Is It's all about how you perceive things. If you perceive athletes or people who should be able to speak up and need to speak up on issues, then you're going to fall into one camp. If you're someone who feels like they don't need to really speak up on these things, you're going to fall into the other. And that's what makes any question about why the game's biggest stars have not said anything so complex. It's because depending on who you are, there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer, but there is an answer and it's open for everyone else to interpret. Um, okay. And if we're going to ask that question about the athletes, let me ask about your white colleagues in the media. What can, what, what can we do better from your perspective? Everything. Mm-hmm. Everything. For one, it's admitting what you don't know, which for journalists as a whole, I don't care what color or gender or whatever you are. Admitting you have a fault, good luck with that. But Hmm. it's everything in the sense of, one, it's understanding and realizing these issues exist. And just because they may not matter or pertain to you doesn't mean they may not matter and pertain to other people. It's about, like we said earlier, hiring and understanding why diversity is important. And even if it means you see someone who is talented, who you may not think they would enjoy hockey, try to convince them otherwise to say like, hey, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever looked at this? I mean, maybe that's not the solution. Maybe it is. Maybe there's other answers. But it's understanding that the game looks different, that players think different, that people look different, that they come from different backgrounds. 
I mean, we sit here and talk about race on this podcast, which I'm glad we're doing, but like there's even the socioeconomic discussion to be had about hockey as well in the sense of just how much does that component play a role in understanding things? But I think when it comes to just what journalists can do, it's the most basic thing in the world, which is just get a better grasp on who you're covering and the issues that may or may not matter to that person that you, how do I put this? Not may or may not matter, but just try to get to know people as best as you can and figure things out. And if it's in an off record setting, if you're allowed to do that, maybe test the waters, try to have conversations with people. Who knows? That's just it. It's really just be human and just be aware that the world looks more than, how do I put it? Just be human, but be aware that the world doesn't look like what you see in the mirror. Hmm. Um, last thing, and Ryan, you know, of course, you have. If if it's too personal and you don't want to, we don't have to talk about it. Um, but you, there was a, a piece yesterday that ran um, of staffers from the Athletic talking about their experiences with racism uh, that you contributed to. Um, what what went into your decision to write that, and do you mind sharing that story with our listeners? Sure, I can actually give you more than that. So what it was is it was something I'd kind of thought about because you're looking around at what's going on. And I think when you are a black or minority sports reporter, something you notice is a lot of the leagues you cover, the overwhelming majority of the people who are in these leagues are black people, are Hispanic people. And it's how can you cover these people but not pay attention to the issues or understand the issues that impact them. And so from it came this thought of, what if we tried to humanize this more in the sense of saying, let's share what we've each gone through. And kind of like it says in the lead of that story, it was asked, which one do we share? Because there's Mm -hmm. so many. And so when it came to like my story, it's, it was difficult to pick one, not because they were tough to talk about, but just because it's like, Which one do you choose? And so the story that I chose was when I was a reporter in Fargo, North Dakota, I also covered Minnesota high school sports and I went over to St. Cloud to cover a game and I used the company car. So it's nighttime, I'm driving back and I didn't realize that the Subaru station wagon that we had, when you turn the lights on, you have to make one more turn for your rear lights to come on. And so a cop pulled me over. Okay, fine. License and registration. Okay, cool. And then you explain, oh, I'm a reporter. I work for the Fargo Forum. This is why the registration says Fargo Forum. And it's like, well, now you have to show your press pass from that game. And then you have to show your business card to show that you actually are indeed a reporter. And it reached the point where I nearly had to call my editor for my editor to sit there and say, he's a reporter, but fortunately I didn't. And so after dealing with that, it rattled me because while I've been stopped by police before, I'd never been stopped while driving a car. So I called a coworker and I talked to this coworker for the entire ride back to Fargo, all two and a half hours. That coworker is now my wife. And this is how I had to introduce what life is like for me. And it was a story I decided to go ahead and share because I felt like maybe it resonated in a way of just, in some ways, this is how my marriage and relationship started with my wife. It started off with, hey, if we're going to do this, this is what comes with it. And she has been nothing but amazing during this whole thing. And I can't thank her enough, but... Even when you tell that story, Craig, like you sit there and you wonder, is this a good idea? Not because like you don't want people to know your story, but it's the whole idea of, so what? I've been stopped for traffic. So what? Uh, What's what's a big deal about them wanting to further identify who you are? And while that's a question people are going to ask, understand this. How many times have you been pulled over? And maybe it does happen. Where people are pulled over, and I mean, maybe Craig, it's happened to you or not, where have you ever been asked your profession? Where you were forced to show purposes of your profession? I mean, yes, I'm in a company car. The registration is different. But to go to those links, that's what really caught me off guard was, 
I never thought I'd have to do that. And then I did. Mm-hmm. And then the thing that I didn't add, and I'll say this and be quiet, was that was the first of three times I got pulled over or I felt I had to stop with a cop behind me while living in that part of the world. And so these are things that you want to share with people because you hope it leaves an impression. Not that I want people to feel bad or sorry for me. I could care less about that. What I want people to understand is there could just be things you're doing in your everyday life and you get reminded you're different. Mm -hmm. And that's when it sucks. Hmm. Well, I, I thank you for sharing that. And I, and I thank you and everybody on our staff for writing that piece. I thought that was, I thought that was really important and I'm glad it was shared as it was. And last thing, Ryan, um, and because I know there's a lot of people listening to this in the hockey world that, that, you know, that have their hearts are in the right place and they, they're saying, okay, I want, I want to help. I want to do something more than, you know, retweeting or whatever. I want to make hockey, you know, what, what we all want it to be. What would you say a good first step would be? The first step in becoming the smartest person in the room is realizing you're not. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is sit there and learn about why these issues are so sensitive for people. Read about the civil rights movement. Read about different incidents. Don't just read King quotes and post them because they sound like the right thing. Go read everything King wrote, what he said. But also make sure that you learn why certain historical moments matter and have context. And I'll give you two. The first is, I won't get into all the details, but I really advise anyone who's reading, well, listening, to go read about Rosewood. Rosewood is an incident that happened in Florida where essentially an entire town of black people were they were put under threat and a lot of them died. And uh, I get emotional talking about it because my mom was born in North Florida. My dad was born in Alabama. And this is a story that they had to hear as kids that my brothers and sisters had to hear that I had to hear. And if I ever have kids, I'm going to have to share with my kids. And it's a very difficult one that for black people of a certain age, depending upon where you grew up, you knew that story that when you say Rosewood to a lot of your friends, they've never heard of it. So there's that. And then the second one is its context in the sense of we look at the civil rights movement and think it was so long ago. Walk into any courthouse that's more than 100 years old and really look around. If everything is still original, there's probably the idea that if you look above two fountains, it's going to look faded above them because that's where the whites and coloreds only signs used to be. And that existed when I lived in Beaumont, Texas at some of the buildings there, but also just put it in that perspective of this. Craig, I know it's a personal question for you, but what year were you born? Uh, 1976. The Civil Rights Act was signed and passed around 64, 65. Mm-hmm. We're not that far away from it. And people act like we are, but that's the reality is you still have a generation, a couple generations of Americans who they lived through this. They've seen it. So just don't act like because it was in the past that we're that far removed from it. We're not. So I hope that makes sense. But yeah, just learn, understand context, understand why people feel the way they do. Well, thanks for doing this, Ryan. Thanks for thanks for always being willing to engage in a, in this conversation. I mean, if anything, I'll thank you for even wanting to do this because I know this subject is difficult and it's complicated because it makes people who want to talk about this possibly realize some really uncomfortable things. But the way I look at it is if people are willing to learn and they're willing to make the effort, I should at least be willing to talk about it and hope that Maybe it resonates with someone somewhere and you just want to do what you can to where you hope people are are putting the best foot forward. So thank you. I want to thank Ryan for joining the podcast again. Um, not Never an easy conversation, but I think that's the point, right? Like this is, 
This is not the time for comfortable conversations, and Ryan was very gracious in his time and willingness to have it, and I think we all benefit from that. So thank you to Ryan. Um, a couple of housekeeping things here before we wrap up. Um, if you want to advertise on this podcast, I want to reach out to you because this is a great way to connect with very engaged listeners. Um, I can tell you that firsthand. Like they, they email, they they listen. It's very um, dedicated. That's I'm so appreciative of the of the the people who listen to the full sixty and they're. And they're very loyal. And if you want to promote your business through this show and um, connect with those people who are awesome, um, go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads. And you can fill out a very simple form. We'll get right back to you. um, And we can move forward with that. So go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads to advertise. Also, uh, earlier this week, um, had Corey Promen on for our monthly bonus episode, the Prospect Series. Corey recently released his draft rankings, and it was a really great conversation with Corey breaking that down. Always fun to have Corey on the podcast. So if you missed that, um, I would definitely go and check out that podcast. All right, that's it. So thanks again to Ryan for joining the podcast. Thank you for listening, and have a great week. <laughs>